welcome. It is awesome to worship together and just to, ha- to have a moment. And um, I don't know about for you for your week. Uh, this is nice just to catch your breath and to get ready for another week ahead. And uh, for those of you who might be new, I met a few of you who this is your first time. Welcome. I know it takes courage coming to a new place. And so we're thrilled that you're here. And I hope that uh, tonight, even though we're ending up a series, I'll kind of catch you up a little bit. So if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to go to Psalm 23, which is kind of Psalms is that peace alms. And you kind of split the Bible in the middle. You'll find it, Psalm 23, we've been looking at the last uh, three or four weeks here. This is kind of wrapping up a series. And in it, God's got some incredible truths for us to to kind of linger with. And I want you to think almost like a song. Uh, This psalm is actually crescendoing at the very, very end. It's kind of this power punch that David writes, uh, led by the Holy Spirit, to record these words that they might benefit millions and millions of people over the last hundreds and hundreds of years as we think through all the way this particular psalm. It's probably one of the most famous psalms. Uh, you've probably heard it maybe at a wedding, maybe at a funeral, maybe at a, a get-together. Maybe you've seen this on posters. You've seen this on things uh, where it's out and it's, it's known greatly. In fact, we started this um, whole series with a quote from A.W. Tozer uh, the very first week that said this, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about us. And he's saying that because it matters how you see God. We live in a culture, in a context, where there's a lot of people that put a lot of twisted viewpoints of who God is and what he's really like. That's why the scriptures from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the whole way through the Bible, very clearly are putting out a picture of what God is really like in his totality. So not just one little slice of, of a behavior, but here's the reality of who God is and what he's like. That's why it matters that we go to the Bible and we see who Jesus is because we're convinced, like, okay, if I see God more clearly, then it's going to be easier for me to trust him more completely. That's kind of what A.W. Tozer's getting at, and that's really what David's getting at. As he writes this psalm, Psalm 23, he's writing and saying, look, I want you to know what God is really like. And so he starts the whole psalm, and here's what he says. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Period. Now, the whole rest of the verses fill in the gaps of what that one statement says. So our challenge for this whole month was to memorize Psalm 23. It was six verses. How y'all doing in that? It's like teacher asking a question. I didn't do my homework. Okay. Uh, Listen, it's fine. You still have two more days uh, in January. You could do this, okay? And this, this challenge was simply, hey, this is important to get in deep within who you are. It's not memorizing so that Jack's happy. Oh, yay. It's not memorizing so that you can quote it and be like, oh, look how spiritual I am. Uh, It's quoting it in yourself, in your own heart, to say, this matters that I see God this way. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He's the one that restores and refreshes my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He's gonna take me on the right paths of life. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death or walk through the darkest of valleys, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows, and you've anointed my head with oil. And then he gets to this crescendo part of this psalm, and I just want you to hear it. 
He's going to lead you through all these valleys. So quick recap from last week, uh, just to kind of let you know. As you traverse through the valleys of life, we're all going to log time in them. That's the reality of life. Welcome to life on earth, okay? We're all broken people. We have to deal with broken things. Even bad things happen to good people and bad people. That's the reality of it. You're going to face challenges. So as you traverse through those valleys, know that the good shepherd is with you. Focus more on his power and his presence than your problems and your pressures. Put your focus more there. You're going to have to deal with it. Don't tell God how big your problem is. Remember, we said remind your problems how big your God is. It's, it's leaning into the truth of that. That we live from an, an overflowing cup perspective. We ended with that last week. That in the custom of the day, that if your cup was overflowing, literally, it meant you didn't ever have to leave the presence. There was no one and no point in that conversation where people were going to make you leave as a guest. You were always welcome there. The reality is you're always welcome in God's presence because your cup overflows. And so then he gets to this very last phrase in Psalm 23, and this is what it says. Surely, uh, Lyle just quoted it. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This final phrase is like this beautiful, beautiful phrase. It's kind of this crescendo kind of wrapping everything up. You can almost kind of sense David's like fear and worry and anxiety of life just kind of melts away. Surely, your goodness and your love is going to follow me all the days of my life, and I'm going to, I'm going to dwell in your presence forever. <sighs> it's like this crescendo moment where David just says, this is the truth. It's the reality. Can you just listen to it from a few other translations? Remember, translations are just people taking the words of the old text. Remember, the Bible is only written in three different languages, right? Old Testament's in Hebrew. New Testament is in Aramaic and in Greek. And the translators are just kind of saying, here's what the word-for-word translation, the phrase-for-phrase, here's what translation means in your context today. So here's what the message says. Your beauty and your love chase after me every day of my life. And I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. The New Living Translation says this, surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Christian Standard says this, only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Psalm 23 ends with this great declaration for anybody who faces anxiety and fear and worry. In David's writing, those things don't have to dominate your life and your living. You can live with an assurance that God is watching over you, that his grace is active in your life, and that heaven is waiting for you as one who is under the care of the good shepherd. It matters that you're under his care, not just trying to verse your own path. We'll kind of get there in a second. But that God is watching over you. Surely his goodness and love will follow you all the days of his life, that you don't have to let the future Uh, Be one that's captivated by worry and anxiety and fears. They don't have to dominate the narrative of your life. You can live with this idea that God's goodness, his activity on your behalf, is in the background of every scene you'll ever face and every scenario and situation that'll ever come up against you. That his love, his goodness will be there with you. It's kind of like it's going to cling to you. Uh, Anyone know what this is? Anyone know where this goes? Yes, the dryer. It's a dryer sheet, right? 
And why do we put a dryer sheet in the dryer, men? Some men are like, uh, you're, you're supposed to do that? Oh, okay. Um, my bad. Uh, dryer sheets go in the dryer to keep things from being staticky. Anyone ever begin to work and had this come out your pant leg? Oh, good. It's not just me. The dryer sheet tends to stick to things. That's why when you pour all the clothes under the bed to fold them, you all do fold them, right? Uh, okay. Uh, so, like, when you fold your clothes and put it away like normal human beings, um, you, you do that, and it's this idea of saying, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this, and this, this dryer sheet has a way of sticking to clothes, but if you don't use it, it creates this static, which we usually encounter here in the early fall and in late spring, but, like, this year, the, our environment doesn't know what to do. Um, and so, because we're not really in a winter right now, but it's this idea of static that's caused. Maybe anyone ever not used one and you get to work and like you have a sock stuck to you and it's like Monsters Inc. and then people are like coming with, you remember that one scene? Okay, I have kids. Um, so, this idea of static, I want you to think of this verse when every time you read it, it's kind of like spiritual static cling in a good way. Surely God's goodness and love will follow you all the days of your life. It will be like the spiritual static cling that's good for you. It will be a part of your life and part of your narrative because God is always watching over you because he is a good, good father. We should write a song about that. God is good. He watches over you. Psalm 145 verse 20 says this, The Lord watches over all who love him who live under his care, who are under the care of the good shepherd, who have come to a place where they've committed their life to Jesus and said, I want him to be my savior and my shepherd, the leader of my life. When you get to that place, you come under the care of the good shepherd and he watches over you. You may not know what kind of is out there in your future or what your future holds, but you do know who holds your future. And it's this rest that we can live with. That God, his sovereignty is the greatest power in the planet and in the universe. What he says goes, goes. It's the reality that we can live under. Obviously, David had disappointments. So surely goodness will follow was not a statement of only good things are ever going to happen to me in life. That's not what David was saying, was it? Surely goodness will follow me all the days of my life. Doesn't mean everything that transpires in life is good. Anyone ever faced challenges before? Setbacks, failure moments? Maybe some rough seasons? Some rough water, if you will? Yeah, we all have. What David's saying is not this idea that only good things will happen. What he's saying is only goodness will follow out of those. So it could have been something, a bad choice, a bad decision that you made that you had to deal with and it had repercussions and complications to it. It could have been that something someone else decided that you just got uh, kind of wrapped up into and you got affected by. And I, I wish it was different. I wish that wasn't true, but it was the reality of what played out. And it could be from simple to extreme. And I'm sorry. But here's what I know to be true. What the scriptures are saying is that God can bring even goodness out of evil and darkness that happened to people in life. It doesn't mean what happened was good. It could be evil and bad, and let's call it that. But it doesn't mean that has to be the end of your story. 
it doesn't mean that has to be the cloud that follows you around all your life. It means that God, in his mercy, in his goodness, can bring good out of it. That's what we looked at last week, Romans 8.28. That's why we have this promise. As a follower of Jesus, we know that he can cause things to work together for good, for our good. It doesn't mean he does that for everybody because it's the people under his care. He's a good God. He's a good shepherd who's working for your good, even out of some of the most difficult uh, things that you may ever face. There will be difficult dilemma and defeat and disasters in the life of every Christian, but they will not be the end of your story. God can bring good out of it. Often we see um, God's goodness in our life. Sometimes we struggle to see it. Sometimes it just, the, the scenario of life is just painted so bleak that it's difficult to actually see his goodness. You ever been there? And in those moments, we're crying out and we're struggling and we're, we're trying to understand Jesus even had this moment. Read the Psalm before, Psalm 23, Psalm 22. It's what he quotes on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting Psalm 22. I told you Psalm 22 and 23 and 24 all kind of go together. But 23 matters. David's wanting us to see what our good shepherd is like. We look at Paul. Paul's imprisoned in Rome, right? Uh, prison's never good. I don't know if you know that. Um, like, it's never winning. It's not good whether it was a decision you made or something that happened. It's not the best scenario to be in. And yet this is where Paul is sequestered away, and it's why he writes Romans 8.28. We're benefiting from some of the, the difficult situations that the apostle Paul went through and had to endure through. God brought good out of it so that centuries later you and I would benefit from this promise and this hope that we have. God is always watching over you, and he will bring good from things. He's watching over you. Psalm 91 is all about God bringing his angels to watch over you. You have a guardian angel as a follower of Jesus. Did you know that? I don't know if you've ever met your guardian angel. I haven't met mine, but I have encountered mine. Uh, I remember when I was hiking in Picacho Peak, uh, halfway between Phoenix and Tucson as a 13-year-old Boy Scout. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so I was hiking on the backside, right, of the mountain, and I got off the trail because I wasn't hiking with a group. Never good. Don't hike by yourself. Um, and so I went around this bush, and I was holding on this bush to try to catch up my friend Andy, and the bush broke. And I remember rolling backwards with a backpack on down a slope of dirt. And the only other thing I remember is staring up at the sky with my feet kind of hanging over about a 100, 150-foot drop. It, I should not be here. Physics alone says that doesn't happen. But I encounter my guardian angel. I'm convinced of it. Because that was the truth. God watches over even the stupid people who get off the trail and hike when they shouldn't be. He watches over. That doesn't mean bad stuff won't happen. It just means that God's alert. He's aware. His goodness is actively working. Have you ever stopped to actually journal about God's goodness in your life? Can I encourage you this week to take five or ten minutes and just on your phone, on a piece of paper, just journal about God's goodness, his activity in your life throughout the landscape of your life as you look back and you see, man, God's activity, his goodness has been really following me. It doesn't mean you don't have difficulties. It just means that you're alert and you can see 
His activity on your behalf, he is for you. His goodness will follow you all the days of your life. Your, your, his love will follow you, he goes on. Uh, maybe for some of your translations, it says his goodness and mercy will follow me. Uh, that's a, an accurate translation. I want to actually help you see this a little bit better because your translation of your goodness and your love, uh, the Hebrew word there is called hesed, your hesed love. And what that means is so broad and so big. Uh, can I just unpack a little bit? Because it's the most brilliant word in all the Old Testament. Whenever you read in the Old Testament loving kindness, and you see those two words together in English, it's hesed. It's this loving kindness of God. It, it literally means this covenantal type of love, this covenant that God made with Abraham and said, I will not break my end of the covenant. This agreement will never be broken by me. That's what God is saying. That's the kind of love he's talking about. This covenant kind of committed love that has mercy, that's one of a seed of forgiveness, that it's a seed of commitment. It's this loyal kind of love that cannot abandon even if it wanted to. It will not quit. That's the kind of love that he's saying. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life that will pursue me. It's God's grace. In fact, the word uh, hesed is the closest word we have in the Old Testament to the New Testament word of grace. It's grace for the Old Testament. This loving kindness of God will pursue you all the days of your life. Grace, in essence, is the fact that God gives you what you need, not what you deserve. Can I get an amen? Aren't you glad God gives you what you need and not what you deserve, right? It's his hesed love. The Bible said that he is gracious, that uh, in the future you will sin. You will break covenant with him. You will choose your own way and outside of the alignment of what God desires. But even in those moments, God's love will never quit on you. It won't ever stop pursuing you. It'll keep coming. It'll keep coming. In fact, this week, I want you to look at Psalm 103. And just read through Psalm 103 because it lists all these benefits of God's love. It helps unpack, understand a little bit more of what this Hesed love really looks like and plays out in life. Forget not all his benefits. That's what the psalmist is writing in Psalm 103. I will not forget the glorious thing God does for me. He forgives my sins. He ransoms me from hell. He surrounds me with loving kindness. He fills my life with good things. He's merciful and tender. He does not hold a grudge. He does not, he's slow to anger. Amen, and amen. He does not punish us as we deserve. His mercy is great to the highest of the heavens. He takes our sin from us. He's a father of compassion who's sympathetic. That's the kind of love that pursues you and pursues me. God's goodness and love. Listen, you're gonna have all kinds of days in life, right? You're gonna have good days, you're gonna have bad days, you're gonna have days where you're hungry and days when you're not. You're gonna have days where you're excited and days when you're not, all kinds of days. And in those difficult days, God's love will pursue you. And in those great days, his goodness will pursue you. Surely his goodness and love will follow you all the days of your life. So we've been looking at shepherding, right? That's the point of this whole psalm. It's from a shepherd's point of view. So can I give you a livestock lesson? Uh, a few years back, I got to have a city slicker day where I went out to this ranch and we got to castrate bulls, which is another story for another time. Um, and <clears throat> I realized I like preaching. So uh, 
when out there, the, the ranchers kind of told me this idea of here's, here's how things play out, that they had a bunch of cattle, right? And they had sheep out there too, but as they tried to brand these cattle and move them, all the horses went behind the cattle and you drive cattle. That's how you move them. But for sheep, it's completely different. For a sheep, the shepherd goes out in front and he calls the sheep and you call them. You, you drive cattle. You call sheep, and so the shepherd's out front. But you notice, uh, when you go to the Middle East, or you see people who are shepherding sheep, what typically you'll see is the shepherd out front, the sheep, remember the sheep aren't the brightest animal in the, in the tool shed, and, and they're following the shepherd because they know the shepherd, they know his voice. John 10, Jesus talks about this, we'll get there. But this idea of following after the shepherd, and what you'll typically notice is a couple sheepdogs in the back. And those couple sheepdogs are kind of herding the sheep as the shepherd is calling them, helping to move the whole flock. What if those sheepdogs were just named goodness and love? Surely God's goodness and love, these divine sheepdogs, will follow you all the days of your life. I hope that picture sinks in a little bit. As your shepherd leads you forward, these sheepdogs of his goodness and his love will pursue after you and will help you get to a place where you understand more and more. And as you move, these goodness and love will follow you all the days of your life. You will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's how David ends this psalm. This idea of heaven awaits those who are part of under the care and under the care of the shepherd that we can come to understand Jesus spoke a lot about being the good shepherd. In fact, I wanted to take a little bit of time because I want you to hear the words of Jesus. So if you have a Bible, you can go to John chapter 10. If you want to read it this week, John chapter 10 is all about Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. It's what people see about him. And here's what he writes. He says, very truly I tell you, speaking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, he says, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, they're a thief and a robber. Because only the shepherd goes through the gate. Other people who are trying to get in, they, they go a different way. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. The sheep listen to his voice. He calls them by name and he leads them out. And when he has brought them out on his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow because they know his voice, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away because they don't recognize that stranger's voice. He goes on, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me were thieves and robbers, but sheep have not listened to them. I'm the gate, Jesus is saying. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. See, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that they may have life. He goes on. I want you to catch the magnitude of what Jesus is saying here. This is what got him killed in the religious backdrop of the day. Is Jesus is making a declaration. I, I'm the Messiah. I'm the gate. I'm the one you need to enter into a relationship with God. It's through me. That's what he's saying. The sheep will know my voice and they'll listen. I've come to give them life and life to the full. Everything else that whispers and shouts at you, it's gonna take you somewhere else. 
and you're not gonna be happy about it. In fact, he goes on and tells his disciples just a couple chapters later in uh, chapter 14, as they're a little stressed as they're moving toward Holy Week, here's what he says. Um, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have not told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's the crescendo. You'll never be out of the presence of Jesus as one who's under his care. As one who comes to a place to decide, I want to follow Jesus. Not only would his goodness and love will always be a part of my life and he'll be my good shepherd to lead me and all these other things that we've talked about, but I get to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I get to go home to heaven. Heaven awaits you. Meaning the best is yet to come. That's what we have to remember. Too often we get stuck in a earthly mentality that I've gotta have a good life here. Listen, you are not promised a good life here, nor am I. But this is just the opening act Can I just remind us of that? The best is yet to come. Heaven awaits. God says, I've got a great life planned for you and I will be with you in it and my goodness and love will follow you all the days here. But I've got something even better waiting. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 says this, we know that our body will be destroyed. Anyone's body breaking down? <laughs> okay. But when that happens, God will have a house for us. It will not be a house made by human hands. Instead, it will be a home in heaven that will last forever. How long is forever? Someone with a calculator. Really, really long, right? Listen, this side of heaven, um, you're promised maybe, maybe, 60, 70, 80, maybe you'll make it to 90 years. But this is the opening act. The best is yet to come. Live with eternity as a mindset, not just an earthly reality as a mindset, because this doesn't hold very much. This is the preschool. It's not the big deal. This is not the best there is. You're going to live forever in one of two places, the Bible says, heaven or hell. The reality is you are an eternal being. The beauty is you get to choose. Friends, don't miss this. Jesus said, I'm the gate. I'm the good shepherd. He wants a relationship with you above everything else everything else. And I want heaven to be on the wait list for you. But it doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen just because you walked in a building. It doesn't happen just because you're a good person. Because the Bible would say that you're a sheep, and so am I. And we like to do things our own way. And we need a shepherd and we're all broken, there's not one that's perfect, there's not one that's good enough to get in. In fact, if, you, if God let you in on your own merit to heaven, you'd wreck the place, and I would too, which is why we need a savior and a shepherd. 
It's why the scriptures continually point out that death for Christians is a transfer. It's a promotion. It's not the end. You will live forever. You get to choose where. That's why the scriptures continually say choose wisely. It is about who you know, not what you do. It is about making right relationship with God through Jesus. What's heaven going to be like? Well, that's a whole other series for another time. But heaven's going to be a place where you're rewarded for your faithfulness to Jesus. It's going to be a place where you get to be reunited with those who have gone before you, that knew Christ. It's a place where you're going to be reassigned some work that's passionate that you love to do. It's not about sitting around on a cloud with a harp. That would be hell to me. It's not that, okay? This is about the idea of using your skills and talents and abilities to praise our Lord and Savior, Jesus. It's all about him. Earth is the warm-up act. Live in the light of eternity. So how do you know if you're going to heaven? Well, Jesus says later in John 10, here's what he says. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. Jesus has the best grip in the universe. And once you become his, you're his. And so the choice is, will you become his? That's on you. Jesus never forces himself on anyone. He offers himself to everyone. That's why Christianity is not exclusive. It's the most inclusive thing on the planet because it's open to any and to all. We must be willing to admit that we need a savior and willing to submit to his leadership. That's the challenge. And that's where a lot of people bail out. But friend, you will live forever. You get to choose where. And you have limited time to make that decision. That's why as you go through the Gospel of John, you see this increasing intensity of Jesus. Remember John chapter 3? You've seen this verse, John 3, 16. You've seen it held up at a football game. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God loved, so God gave. Because that's what love does. When you love somebody, what do you do? You you just give. You do stuff for them. Because you love them. See, that's what love does. God loved the world. Now, cross out world. Just put in your name. God loved you. He loved you so much that he sent his one and only son to die on a cross for you to take the punishment for your brokenness and your sin and your rebellion, that you didn't have to carry that or have that be the narrative that writes your life, but that you could have someone step in your place and take a punishment that you deserved and give you a promise that you didn't deserve. See, that's what grace is. It gives you what you need, not what you deserve. That's why his loving kindness is powerful. It's this hope that we can have. It carries us. Surely, God, your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here's a thought to think about. Surely, God's love and goodness will follow me, meaning they're always in my presence. God's goodness and love are always in my presence. Here's a question for you. When you are done interacting with the people that you encounter in life, do you leave the residue of God's love and goodness? Or do you leave something else? Jesus said, 
They will know you're my followers by the way you, what? Love one another. Friends, we live in a culture where Christians, people who are self-professed Christians, I think leave a different thing when they finish interacting with people, and that should not be. If God's goodness and love follow me all the days of my life, then that should be the residue of what's left behind when I'm done interacting with the people around me at my school, at my workplace. That doesn't mean I can't ever get upset. That doesn't mean I have to be walked over in life. It just means, is that goodness and love that I'm experiencing, is it just having an effect to the people around me too? Because it should. So surely your goodness and your love will follow me. Here's the serious takeaway we said, remember? Your success, your spiritual growth and your spiritual quality as a sheep will be completely dependent upon your proximity to the shepherd. We said, some of us don't like being called sheep, and uh, in fact, we joked as a staff this week that we were gonna maybe go get sheep tattoos, but uh, I'm a wimp, and so I probably won't. But Morgan, I did hear that you were designing one, so let me know. Um, This idea... Okay, I am the sheep, you're the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And then all the things we've looked at for the last three weeks begin to play out. Can I summarize a little bit, maybe word it a little different? As it comes to this idea of fear and anxiety, if I know the shepherd, I don't have to fear anything. I don't need to fear deficiency because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need, I lack nothing. I don't need to fear loneliness for he is always with me. I don't need to fear mistakes, for he's the one that's gonna guide me in the right path. I don't need to fear failure, because he's the one that restores my soul. I don't need to fear the valleys and the challenges in life, because he will lead me through. He'll comfort me as we go. I don't need to fear the future, because his goodness and his love are gonna chase and cling to me all the days of my life. I don't need to even fear death, because I will dwell in the house of the Lord in his presence forever. Jesus is your good shepherd if you choose him. And he delivers protection, provision, peace, providence, his presence, and ultimately will take you home to paradise if you choose him. God loved, so God gave. And if you believe, you can receive. The the crux of this whole thing is that you'd see God for who he really is, that you'd know him, and that you would know him to be these things for you. But it all starts with you saying yes to him. And so I just challenge you tonight, if you're here and you've never said yes to Jesus, friend, tonight is your night. Don't wait another day. Don't wait and go, I'll figure it out later. You are not promised later, sorry, neither am I. And so in the moment that you're in, tonight might be your night to make that decision. It's as simple as saying, Jesus, I know I need you. I'm tired of trying to be my own shepherd and run things my own way. It's gotten me nowhere and I don't even like where I'm at. But I choose tonight that you be my savior and my shepherd. And so in the next few minutes, I'm just gonna invite you to have some space to contemplate two things. One is, where are you in your relationship with Jesus? Have you said yes to him? And if you have, where are you at in that? Because it's always about the shepherd leading us forward into next steps of faith with him. And as you watch this spoken word, that's Psalm 23, put a little bit differently. 
Let it wash over you. And think about this. What's the one phrase or the one thought or the one picture that stood out to you in this whole series? And ask God to show you why. Why is that the one that maybe God wants to do a work in your own heart? And then we're gonna have a space for communion and it invites you to take, to take time. Uh, there's tables, uh, two in the back and two up front to do that if you're new. Uh, we invite you to kind of move around for communion. So after this video, you'll see that. We'll worship a little bit together and then we'll be dismissed. But take this time as we watch this video. I'll close this in prayer. Father, we're grateful that you are our good shepherd. We ask that you'd be at work in our hearts. For those of us who maybe have never said yes to you, I pray that tonight, this week, this moment would be the moment that we open up our hearts to say yes to you. That it's not about a religion, it's about a relationship with our shepherd. And we want you to be the good shepherd of our life. Fathers, we listen to these words and as we take communion, as we worship in song and, and respond and reflect a little bit in these next few moments, would you stir us in a fresh and new way? We ask that in Jesus' precious name. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He is the caregiver, life bringer. I'm not bound down. Greener grass simply cannot be found. In all of creation's foundation, I find my salvation in the palm of his hands. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He finds joy in sustaining my heart rate so that I might stride and step to his cadence. My cup overflows. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. There is nothing lurking behind any corner that my shepherd cannot dismantle. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Waves of hate on my left, ocean of foes on my right, the sea of deceiving voices that prowl at the gates of my mind. And yet in the presence of all of this, you anoint my head with oil. You set me apart and I rise to the top bubbling up until life cascades and displays the abundance of ways that you have brought life to my core. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, stirring up the aroma of heaven with every single step that I take. The flavor of my life is favor and my cup overflows. And as if all of this was not enough, I, a broken man with guilty hands, I, the prodigal son, the forgiven one, I, the redeemed, yes, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. My cup overflows.